Casinos in Space by Howard Berenbaum. Copyright 2019 by Howard Berenbaum slash CyberTimes LLC. All rights reserved. Chapter 5. First stop. The ship's itinerary was limited and was never meant to emulate that of an ocean cruise. It had just two stops, not the customary four or five ports of call offered on a typical ocean liner. And of course, they had no mustard drill in case of a disaster in interstellar space. They lacked space lifeboats, and if the unfortunate happened, like a collision with a city-sized asteroid, passengers and their heirs were just out of luck. For insurance purposes, they signed a release that waived their rights to sue the company for damages if an unfortunate unlikely event happened like death or disablement. Ocean incidents could be life-threatening, but are usually only gross and inconvenient when a liner has a serious engine failure and all aboard are adrift at sea. When this rare event happens, rescue is on the way, but one could spend days with overflowing toilets and just bread and crackers or potato chips for nourishment until help arrived. If disaster happens on the Las Vegas, nothing can save you unless an alien race has been watching and swoops into the rescue. Fortunately, the Las Vegas had no incidents, and if they did, unfortunately, no one could depend on an alien rescue since, to date, they found zero alien civilizations with space travel capabilities. Barry, Mark, Paul and their wives entered the elevator to the shuttle bay on the fourth level with bathing gear in tow, and then crossed a gangway to be greeted by a pleasant-looking tour guide standing next to a cardboard box of something. Martin Landry was excited, somewhat nervous and unusually happy today. They were docking at their very first port in this amazing space cruise. He couldn't wait to get to the resort's casino. He didn't care to tour the city or bathe in the ultraviolet purple day-night sky or to relax with a Mai Tai on the blue-black crystal sandy beach while getting a therapeutic dose of the health-building ultraviolet rays. He wasn't at all interested in the midnight barbecue with beefy beef ribs, the roasted prime rib, and the amazing gelato desserts with Oreo cookie crumbles. And he wasn't interested in relaxing under perfectly clear skies, with a warm salty breeze from the mesmerizing salty sea as it gently crashed into the blue-green rocky shore surrounding the glittery sandy beach. His only goal was to shadow Paul, and just because he wanted to. He hadn't noticed it was becoming an obsession, because most of what Martin achieved was a result of his obsessions. Here's your protection, Ms. Pingree said while shoving a toothpaste-sized tube into their hands as they stepped into the gangway. Rub it all over before getting to that beach, or you'll be very sorry you didn't, and with great pain days later. Heed my warning. And if you don't, don't complain to me. I'll just say I told you so. They laughed at the comments as they grabbed their tubes. It was a special cream that was 99.9% .9 effective in blocking both short and long-wave ultraviolet light. Though it was more, more important to block the short-wave UVs because they were cancer-causing. The group ventured into the shuttle with their bathing gear in tow and sunblock lotion in hand. It reminded them of the mandatory spraying of hands when diners entered any of the eating venues on the starship. Though it seemed imposing and annoying to have to wash your hands before entering, the crew made it friendly and pleasant experience as the passengers approached the dining room entrance. They stopped them with a little tune they called the Washy Washy Song, and a dance step as they sprayed hands and sang, Washy Washy, Happy Happy.
One crew member crafted his own spin to the song as he sprayed, saying, Make your mama proud. It was hilarious. The shuttle left orbit and gracefully spiraled down towards the surface to an exotic beach island on an Earth-like planet appropriately called Utopia, because it was perfect. Perfect weather, perfect beach, and even perfect seaside buffet before or after your perfect ocean swim, and an extended nap on a motorized hammock, seaside. And if you're adventurous, you'll get your rest after a skydive jaunt, zip-lining through the island's inland rainforest or parasailing for a great view of the island's coast. For the non-adventurous tourists, the buffet is a safe bet for instant enjoyment except for the potential hazard of weight gain and contributing to high cholesterol, which in the long term could be vastly more dangerous than a parachute jump from 5,000 feet. As they approached the spaceport, the blue-green of the ocean reflected golden rays through the ship's portholes as the shuttle closed in on its assigned runway. On disembarking they were lead to a tram terminal to begin their excursion. The beach was a short tram ride from the spaceport, spaceport through the edge of a steamy rainforest. It was noon, just after a quick cloudburst, and the air smelled like a newly mowed lawn mixed with the fragrance of purple lilacs and yellow marigolds on a hot and humid lazy August day. Lilacs and marigolds were not native to Utopia, but they mimicked Earth's plant genus, and their fragrance was close. The main difference was their coloration. The faux marigolds were light gray, and the faux lilacs were a beautiful apple green. When the tram exited the rainforest, the humidity deposited on the windows condensed, and then quickly evaporated revealing a magnificent view of the deep blue sand and greenish ocean waves in the distance. They disembarked at a small garden filled to the brim, with a variety of alien plant species, including the faux marigolds and lilacs. The hot air was filled with a mix of numerous sweet smells, ever-changing as they walked through the garden toward the sand. Barry stopped for a moment to survey the colors, and then reached down to pick a faux lilac. This would look beautiful in Elena's light brown hair, he thought. But, before his hand touched the flower he heard a loud stop. From their guide. Dr. Cohen, do not attempt to touch the flowers, she commanded. Please. The signs clearly warn of the consequences. Some of the plants are poisonous, and they are all protected. And if you were reaching for the apple green erupto, contact with any part of that plant could be fatal. It would be like a reaction to poison ivy, but 100 times more severe and painful, and it spreads quite quickly. Barry was startled, but tried to mask his reaction. Oh, sorry about that. It won't happen again. Martin Landry was standing nearby and heard the commotion but it did not faze him one bit, and before anyone noticed, he reached for a faux lilac and plucked a flower from the potentially menacing plant and handed it to Barry, who reluctantly accepted it. Thank you, Martin. That was very, very brave of you, Barry said. At the point of contact with the stem, Barry's fingers began to tingle. And at the same time, Martin's hand was beginning to blister and swell, but his only reaction was a smile. He was happy to be with the group, and he hoped for recognition and friendship. It was part of his plan, and a little swelling wasn't going to hurt. In fact, it would help. He wanted to get close to Paul Erickson, and this was a step forward. By the time the guide noticed Martin's predicament, it was too late to stop him. But she was fast and knew what to do when an exposure happened. She had a bottle of water in her hand, 
and swiftly moved toward Martin and doused his swollen hand with a half-bottle. Surprisingly, the cold water caused a sizzling sound as it splattered to the ground. Keep your hand wet, Mr. Landry. And that was a stupid act to do, especially right after my warning. I am fine, Miss Pingree, Martin said, and he held up his hand. See, the swelling is going down. Thanks for the water. Well, you're a lucky man, Pingree said. I've seen hands turn black and fall off right after contact. Apparently, you've got some immunity, but keep it wet. Then she handed Martin a second bottle of water. And recognition he attained. I have to say that was very brave of you to endanger your health for my gallantry, Martin, Barry said. And now I see it was a bad decision on my part considering your hands are like huge Kaiser rolls ready for some tuna spread and tomatoes. That could have been me. I am okay with it, Martin said. True friends must sometimes sacrifice for their peers. Barry thought that it was a stupid crazy act for Martin to knowingly expose himself to danger, but admired him for his selfless actions. As I said, you were brave to intercede on my part, and I am grateful. Thank you again, Martin. I do owe you one or two. Not at all, Dr. Cohen. He smiled to himself to have achieved his goal of building a relationship with the scientists. It was my pleasure to protect you. He held up his hands. And as you can see, the swelling is subsiding. No harm done to either of us. He was very pleased with himself. I will repeat myself for all of you, Pingy said. Mr. Landry, you are a very lucky man. You could have lost that hand, you know. Just don't do that again, please. Barry stared at Martin's injuries and said, Martin, I am not a medical doctor, but just one look at your puffy paws says you'd better check with the ship's medic as soon as possible. They look like very nasty injuries. Martin glanced at Pingree, and then back to Barry. Thank you for your concerns. I definitely won't be that reckless in my future. And, I will take your advice Dr. Cohen, and stop at the infirmary this evening when we return. But I do want to assure you they are feeling just fine. After a short jaunt to the water's edge, they were all safely buttered up and ready to toast in the early afternoon sun on the blue-black sand under the pink alien sky. A warm windy breeze swirled some sand into a miniature bluish dust tornado as they disrobed at the blue-green ocean's edge. Catch that sand devil, guys, Barry said as the swirling dust passed where they stood, then made a 90-degree turn toward the shore and skirted the surface of the water for a few feet before plunging lifelessly onto an incoming wave. Then Barry spotted a swarm of flying things with flapping wings approaching their spot along the shoreline. Heads up, guys. Guys. We've got some incoming wildlife our way. It was too late to react if they were the targets. Fortunately the swarm stopped and hovered above an incoming wave. They were bluish-red dragonflies now flapping their transparent rainbow wings in a rhythmic motion to the undulating sea. However, they may have been menacing because they were not small earth-like insects, but each hovering bug had a body some ten inches in length with twice the wingspan. Menacing or not, they did not approach the group of bathers, but stayed gracefully flapping and floating over the water's edge. That is until one of the dozens broke from the swarm and headed full speed toward Barry's head. Barry was unaware of the approaching collision. 
But it didn't matter because just before the giant dragonfly collided with Barry's forehead, Paul Erickson stepped in between Barry and the approaching bug, and it shot skyward at the very last moment, and then gently landed on Paul's head. If you were there to see the acrobatics, and then the landing it was a sight to see, and you would have laughed. The bug's wings were dangling over Paul's ears looking like a set of insect rabbit ears waiting to capture the local alien television channels, of course none existed. It was so fast that Paul hadn't noticed, but everyone else did, and they laughed, everyone except the testy tour guide, who was alarmed, but calm, and shooed the dragonfly off Paul's head before it had a chance to bite him with a fatal dose of venom, and either killing Paul, or causing some serious damage. They were relaxing at the beachfront for about an hour, when Miss Pingree announced that their incredible barbecue buffet would soon be ready for all hungry passengers. Anyone interested in some meaty meat, Miss Pingree said, head down the beach to our barbecue pit. See the smoke? That's the place to be. And for those vegetarians, we haven't forgotten you. We're cooking some incredible tasting faux pork ribs. Add our tasty apple barbecue sauce, and you'll think you're in pig heaven eating the real thing. The group simultaneously stood up and moved toward the billowing smoke from the fire pit. Barry and Paul lead the march followed by Martin Landry, who was close behind Paul. Barry was eager to try the fake ribs because he was hopeful they had the technology right, so he could enjoy the pork without the risk of raising his cholesterol. When they closed in on the pit, the smell was amazing. Paul was ready for lunch after that ride through the steamy rainforest, though he was always willing to stop for a bite when the time was right. Food was one of his favorite pastimes. Zero H, it smells so good, Paul said as they neared their beachside barbecue. Hope they have some nice juicy well-done brisket on the menu. I was hoping that the fake pork ribs tasted like the real thing, Barry added. But, we're on vacation and I'd make an exception for the real thing. I wouldn't touch that soybean meat substitute, Paul said. You need to eat meat protein for your health. We are carnivores and we were meant to eat cow, not that tasteless tofu. Tofu. Besides, that stuff isn't good for your body. It increases production of estrogen which can cause cancer. Skip the fake stuff and eat some real meat, sir. I hear you, Barry said, and he turned to Mark. So, what do you think? Well, some say meat is madness, but I don't agree. Paul's right. But I do eat both. A balanced diet of meat and veggies keeps my weight down and makes me happy. Everyone was pleased with the seaside barbecue, even Martin Landry, who was critical of many of the menu selections at the Las Vegas forcing him to take to the premium restaurants. He very much enjoyed the Japanese hibachi and the Brazilian barbecue buffet. Of course, Paul was happy to indulge in the smoked brisket and the spicy Cajun shrimp. Unfortunately, lobster wasn't on the menu, though it was one of the dinner selections the night before so complaints weren't expressed. Barry would not have minded lobster again, but he was very happy with the other seafood choices, which included roasted clams, mussels and scallops. Though shrimp was included, he was allergic, so it was one food he had to avoid unless he wanted to end up in the hospital. It must have been a reaction to the iodine in the shrimp, but he could eat all other shellfish without problems. Lobster was his favorite and fortunately it was safe to eat. After they boarded the tram, Miss Pingree announced, we are headed to the only casino on Utopia they call Casablanca, 
if anyone is interested. Martin Landry, now seated next to Paul and the group, said, We would very much like to spend some time at the casino, yes we would. Then, looking at Paul, he said, Would you join me, Dr. Erickson? Paul wasn't expecting the invitation, and thought for a moment. Then he said, Yes, why not? Barry turned to Mark and said, Well, here's looking at you, kid. Mark looked bewildered. What? What? Don't you recognize that famous line from the classic Bogart movie, Casablanca? No, I don't, Mark said with a grin, waiting for a pun from his friend. But it didn't arrive. I remember that movie, Martin said. My mother loved the old classics. The tram headed about a mile down the beach to a sprawling complex with a high-rise hotel and a casino covering the first three stories. It stopped at the canopied entrance and the group disembarked. Paul and Martin were the first off and scurried through the lighted entrance followed by Barry, Mark with their wives. Hey, Paul, Barry called. Wait for us. But it was too late because Paul and Martin melted into the maze of tables and rows of slot machines, and when Barry entered, he couldn't find them anywhere. He's good as gone, just like on the Las Vegas, off to gamble alone. But he's not alone, Mark said. He's with that weird Martin Landry. Right, Barry said. He is with weird Marty, and I would add creepy too. Barry and and Elena found a small row of three-line nickel slot machines and sat down at the only empty spot. The adjacent machines were quiet, but you couldn't say that about the end players. Almost every time they pulled at the one arm of their bandit, and after the digital wheels stopped spinning, their winnings spewed from the machine into the metal bin below, and they squealed with joy. That was the sound of success Barry was hoping they would achieve. After adding $20 each in credits from their Las Vegas room key, they simultaneously pulled their levers. The machines blurted out clicks and whirring sounds as the wheels rotated, and then the sounds reduced as the wheels slowed and finally stopped. Unfortunately, neither one hit a jackpot, all while their fellow gamblers were winning it big. Well, as big as you could expect betting nickels. The most you can win betting the maximum on these machines was $600 for three sevens if it was their time to pay and you were very lucky. Other lesser payouts started at a dollar and went up depending upon the combination of symbols displayed and the number of nickels risked. Barry wasn't a big gambler, at least with slots, because he knew it was mainly a losing proposition. That's why they called them one-armed bandits because they rob you of your money. Though it was fun to try to beat them, and people did, it just wasn't happening to Barry and Elena. And after an hour, they each left losers. But it was only a $40 loss, with a chance to win a decent jackpot, Barry rationalized. Paul and Martin moved to the rear, and then down an escalator, to find a sparsely populated lower-level casino, with very few slot machines, but lots of table games. Paul weaved his way through tables and slots with Martin closed behind. He then abruptly stopped at a crowded roulette wheel and Martin bumped into him. Paul teetered for a moment and then regained his balance. Sorry about that, Dr. Erickson. It won't happen again, sir. The croupier, a short gray-haired man, looked up at the pair and said, Howdy boys, and have a seat. Red has been real hot today. If you place your bets soon you could be a big winner. 
He waved his hand across the black and red numbers. Paul pulled out a $20 bill and placed it on red. Good choice, my man. Then the croupier released the ball. It whirled around the rim ten times before it lost momentum and then slipped into red number three. Is that you, Slim? Paul asked. There was a delay and the croupier said, maybe. And then he blurted, red again. And I see we have some lucky winners. Next he cupped his hands and whispered so only Paul could hear. Try all black, now, buddy boy. But don't tell a soul. Paul nodded and then dropped the $20 winning chip on black just as the ball was released. Martin grabbed for his wallet and just a second before no more bets was declared, he placed a $20 bill on black. This ball circled the wheel two more times and then slid neatly into black number two. We have some winners again. Looks like black was the lucky color. Sorry reds. No hard feelings, I hope, but random is what random does. Martin was smiling from ear to ear when he scooped up his winning chips. He was proud of his accomplishment. Sorry, boys, no more bets, the croupier said. This table is closed for the day. Nice meeting you guys. Good luck, you'll need it. What, Martin said, disappointed. I was just starting. That's okay, Martin, Paul said. I was getting a little hungry. Let's go find a snack or two. But, Dr. Erickson. I would like some more money, so let's find another table. Paul's appetite was thundering back, and he said, That can wait, Martin. Let's get a little something. Aren't you hungry? Hungry? No, Martin said. But he followed Paul, anyway. Though he was frustrated, he decided not to press it, because it might annoy Dr. Erickson, and that could spoil his plans. When Paul and Martin entered the restaurant, they spotted the rest of their party. Barry ran up to greet them and said, So, there you are. When you two disappeared early, we were going to send out a search party. Though we knew we'd likely see you here. Hey, make any money, Paul? Before Paul could respond, Martin Landry said, why yes, Dr. Cohen. Dr. Erickson was lucky again. Paul nodded affirmatively while waving a handful of tens and twenties. Mark joined the conversation and said, while waving an empty wallet, well, you did better than us. Dr. Erickson was very skilled, I think, Martin said. But, he may have had some help from the croupier. The gentleman told him what to bet on, and called him buddy boy. I thought that was very odd, but we won, so I had no need to question it. Paul nodded again. After that exchange, the tour guide approached their group and asked them to assemble at the tram station within the hour for their departure back to the Las Vegas. That's when Paul and Martin hurriedly headed to the dessert bar and found some very delicious snacks to enjoy before they left Utopia with their winnings.